She is the director of that center, and she teaches women's studies, family violence, and human trafficking at Vanguard University of Southern California. She is the recipient of a grant to further address violence against women in northern Iraq through a partnership to integrate women's studies. And on the home front, she recently served as administrator of Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force in the battle against the modern slave trade. So please join me in welcoming Sandy Morgan. Thank you so much. What is human trafficking? Maria was 17 years old. She just graduated from high school in the Ukraine. There were no jobs. Her father died in one of the conflicts, and her mother and her eight-year-old brother were counting on Maria to be the breadwinner. And every day she scanned the newspapers, and when she saw an ad that they were hiring for the tourist industry in Athens, Greece, she and her best friend took the bus to the big city on the appointed day, stood in line, filled out the job application, and were thrilled at the end of the day when they were chosen. And there were 20 girls who got jobs. And she went home and she said, Mom, I'm going to send half the money to you and half I'm going to save to go to nursing school. And two weeks later, she showed up at the appointed time with all of her documents and handed them over to the um, travel coordinator. And they got on a bus and then a train and a boat and another bus and ended up on the Turkish side of the Greek border late at night. And each girl was put in a separate room. And Maria said that um, she had barely laid her head down and the door burst open and four men dressed in police uniforms gang raped her. Now they weren't necessarily law enforcement. But this was the beginning of conditioning her to do whatever they told her to do. In those few moments, all of her dreams crashed before dawn the next morning, they took her downstairs. They duct taped her ankles and her wrists and her mouth. They placed her in the false bottom of a little car, drove her across the border into Greece where she was sold again. And for the next 22 months, she was moved from brothel to brothel. She never stayed any place long enough to develop a friendship. She never knew for sure where she was. She learned a few words. She just survived. And when I met her, and she was asked how she survived, she said, my soul died. It was empty inside. But I had to do what they said. And we asked her, Maria, why? Because some of the girls committed suicide. And she said, because they had the address where my eight-year-old brother lives and they said, if I didn't do this, they would go and get him. When Maria came to us, she had horrible malnutrition, incredible medical needs from the trauma that she had endured for 22 months. And her case is, an, is, is a, a vivid example of the elements of human trafficking. The Trafficking Victims Protection Act here was passed in 2000. It was reauthorized in 2005 and again in 2008. And there are three elements that define human trafficking. When someone is either through force, fraud, or coercion, 
used for slave labor or for commercial sexual exploitation, sex slavery. Now, in, in Maria's case, the force was the brutalization, the duct tape. The fraud was when they offered her a job that sounded like a dream come true, and the job did not exist. And the coercion is when they threatened her with taking her brother to make her compliant. Those are the elements of human trafficking, force, fraud, and coercion. And the years and years and years of rehabilitation to give her back hope and eventually a dream will never, never be the same as if we could have done something before. And the three Ps of our federal policy to address human trafficking are prevention, protection, and prosecution. Prevention is a place where many of us can be involved. And I was just in Kiev, and I was talking to missionaries that are working at prevention in the streets where there are 75,000 children who have aged out of the orphanage system, and some of them are as young as 12. And they're living in the streets. And they're like low-hanging fruit for traffickers who come and say, I have a place for you. I have a better dream for you. How can we do prevention? I was just in Iraq last month and, and doing research on human trafficking and discovered that among the other horrendous war crimes Saddam Hussein engaged in, he went to the villages where they were, where they were methodically killing off the men, genocide. And he didn't kill the little girls. He collected them and sold them and exchanged them for weapons. The horrors of human trafficking are, are there are stories, you'll hear stories from I Empathize, you'll hear stories from um, Kevin Potter this afternoon. So we come here and we want to know, God, we've already asked the question, where are you and what are we supposed to do? And he gives us a great model because this is not something new. Did you know that? Human trafficking is not something new. And in fact, the reasons, the causes, the underlying issues that address human trafficking, like poverty, so that there are those who have nothing, have no options, and like demand, there are those who want something and someone else is willing to provide it. Those issues are still there. So if you look at 2 Kings chapter 4, just briefly, you see the story of a widow. And I love it. Pastor Brady started off with orphans and widows. And that's where we are in 2 Kings. There's a widow, and she asks Elijah for help. And, Eli and she says, a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. I hear this over and over again in my work. It's a debt we owe. And if we don't pay this, we have, to, we have to work. It's debt bondage. It's another form of slavery. They were going to take her sons. So Elisha says, what can I do? He didn't just give her a, an easy answer. He didn't just write her a check. Ah. And then he says, tell me what do you have in your house? And she says, like most of us, oh, I don't have anything. My husband's that way. He goes to the cupboard. He opens it up and he says, is there anything for dinner? It's like, oh, it's all there. So, but for her, 
It took her a few minutes to figure out, oh yeah, I do have, I do have this flask of olive oil. And so then he gives her some instructions. You see, he didn't, he involved her in the miracle that he was going to do for her. And he told her, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house, house with your sons, shut the door behind you, pour the oil from your flask into the jars, set each one aside when it's filled. I wish I could talk about how important empty jars are in God's economy. We don't have enough time. She did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. And soon every container was full to the brim. Now, these weren't her jars. These jars belonged to people in the community. So her son said, there's no more. And the oil stopped flowing. And she went and told Elisha. And he said, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. So God asked her what did she have, and she brought her contribution to this miracle. She maintained her dignity. And then he involved the entire community. They borrowed every jar they could. And on the other end of the miracle, when the jars are full, because God's the one who has the resources, she sells the oil back to them in those same jars. And she's empowered. So she maintains her dignity. She's empowered. And the whole community is involved. This is the gold standard model for the faith community for strategic planning to address human trafficking. And the church is called to intervene and to do prevention. What if we were able to empower a single mom, a widow with two little boys, whether it's in Iraq or in Santa Ana where I live in California, or in Thailand, or Cambodia, or Kiev. What if we were able to do that? Um, the church is really the best, really the best per, um, group to do prevention for those three Ps, prevention, protection, and prosecution. We, we aren't very good at the prosecution part. We aren't trained to do the law enforcement part of collecting the evidence so that we can get a prosecutable case. And sometimes we get involved in that, and then they can't prosecute the case because we didn't collect the evidence the correct way, and it's the way our Constitution says it has to be. So let's look at how we can better use the resources and the gifts God has already given us and take a little assessment. What's in your house? Well... You're already uniquely positioned in the, in the community so that they trust you. You already have an infrastructure for do, doing education. Look at this conference, how easy it was. Well, I know, actually, the workers put a lot of time into this. But the facility was here. The people, the volunteers, there was already the infrastructure to pull together this kind of event, to do this kind of teaching. And we've already been taught how to make disciples. And you see, that is the secret to prevention and intervention. As we are going, remember Matthew 28, 19? That go is really in the real Greek. I lived there for 10 years and they taught me. It's as you're going, make disciples. And as I'm helping the least of these, the victims like Maria, I'm taking other people with me from government, from victim services, from NGOs. And if they're going with me, 
they're heading towards Jesus. And I'm making disciples. And when I take care of a victim, I don't have to give them four spiritual lies. I just treat them the way I would treat Jesus. And they, they know. They know what that means. Now, how can the church intervene in the fastest growing area of human trafficking in our own nation? That is the area of commercial sexual exploitation of our own children. The majority are kids who have already been in the system. They've already been taken out of some kind of abusive situation. Now they may be runaways like Anne. Let me tell you Anne's story. Anne was 14. Anne grew up in a home in middle-class America. She had everything every average kid has. And then her mother's boyfriend moved in with them. And he molested her. And according to the regulations, they took Anne out of the home, put her in a group home for her own safety. She didn't like the group home. And so she ran away. And when she ran away, she's 14. She didn't have a plan. She didn't have any resources. So now she's on a park bench, and it's 1 o'clock in the morning. And she's trying to sleep there. Now, there is an entire sex industry. There are pimps. They set up their own business. The average pimp has three girls. And when they need new, fresh product, they go trolling in particular places like bus depots and malls and city parks. So this guy, who's very practiced, stops and gets a dollar menu hamburger for his bait, and he goes to the park, and as soon as he spots Anne, he's ready, he goes right into mode. And he walks past her to start with, and suddenly looks back, and he's shocked, and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? Um, uh, are you okay? Now, she's 14 years old, and she knows to be afraid of... Good, you're as good as my class. I like that. And so she pretends like she, he just doesn't exist. I do that. If somebody comes up to me in the parking lot at night at my grocery store, I just don't talk to them. And then they don't exist. And so that's what she did. Well, he starts to walk away, and then he looks down at that, that um, dollar menu bag, and he, he looks back at her, and he says, you know, I'm not really hungry, and I just bought this hamburger, and you look like you might be. Well, she is. And so here's food. Isn't this wonderful? God provides. She sits up. He gives her the bag, and then he sits down next to her. And he asks her questions, and he commiserates with her and tells her, yeah, people haven't treated you really very well. And she eats the food that he's provided. And then he takes the trash, and he gets up, and he walks even further away to where the trash can is, way over here. He doesn't want her to be afraid. And he looks back, and he says, I don't think it's safe for you out here. Um, why don't you come home and sleep on my couch, and, and we'll figure it out tomorrow. Now, is he still a stranger? He's a friend now. Her little brain is not done yet. And so she goes home with him, and by the end of the first week, by the end of the first week, she is in a relationship and he tells her he knows he's too old, he's 26 and she's 14, but he can't help himself. She's so beautiful and he loves her so much, he can't help himself. And by the end of the second week, he has bought her all kinds of hot clothes. He's gotten her a cell phone.
And now then, though, he's starting to talk about the money. And so he says, you know, I need some help with the bills. And I, I know you love me, and so, but I hate to ask, but I, I want you to work this weekend for me. And so he asked her to work. And she's like, I love you. I'll do anything. She doesn't like it. But where else is she going to go? And the first time she's picked up, they called her a teen whore. And she did not rat out her boyfriend. And as soon as she was out of juvie, she went straight back to him because he is the only one that's going to take care of her. But several months later, unfortunately it was several months, because this is a real story. This is a real girl. This is a real American child. She was picked up again where they'd had training, and they took her to a debriefing room instead of an interrogation room, and she had a victim advocate with her. And they told her her rights. And later, because she sang like a bird, and to make a long story short, he went to prison for a really long time. And she went to, uh, got her GED, and she's in community college now, and her life is back on track. But I asked her, what was the big difference between the first and the second time? And she said, they treated me with respect, dignity, dignity. The church needs to get involved right where you are. And you don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are lots of resources out there. You can order stuff from the Look Beneath the Surface campaign, and there's links to this on my Live to Free website and the Vanguard website. You can order little cards if you're a nurse or a, or a law enforcement that tell you the questions to ask possible victims so that you know how to report to the 888-3737-888 number. That's the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline. Your tax dollar pays for that. Use it. In fact, let's memorize it right now so you know how to use it. Pull out your cell phone and tweet it. The number is 888-3737-888. Okay, all together? Very good. Partner with your community. At Vanguard, we started a uh, youth mobilization team. They wanted to do something, and we found out there were a lot of things to do. This summer, our Live to Free mobilization team visited over 200 walk-in medical clinics and provided resources that we didn't have, even have to print and that were already government-approved. Made a huge impact on our community, and the first summer that we did that, and a victim was rescued within hours of our being there. My students will go anywhere and do the most menial task if it means creating more awareness and finding victims. They'll do anything. They're very, very willing workers. Don't reinvent the wheel. Partner with your community. I want to talk to you about your role in human trafficking because basically we are all part of the problem, me too, and we can all be part of the solution. But there isn't anybody here right now, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, that isn't part of the, uh, the problem. Because we are a consumer-driven culture, and human trafficking is all about the law of supply and demand. Somebody wants something, a seller is going to find that product. Now, in the horrible horror of the commercial sexual exploitation of our children and of women that are brought here from, from third world countries where, where they had no options, 
and they thought they were coming to jobs. Uh, we, we understand that part, and we see the, that pornography and the hypersexualized media drives demand for that. And there are things we can do. We can have pornography workshops. We can, we can build awareness and training from the time our kids are young so that, do you know the average age of a child's first, first glimpse of pornography is nine? We need to tell them what to do when it happens because it's addictive. We need to teach them the same way we taught them to look both ways to cross the street. If this happens, click away and let mommy know. We teach that. That's prevention. And we defend them. Demand reduction is so critical to ending human trafficking. And demand is as simple as loving chocolate. You mentioned chocolate in a cup of coffee. And I just wanted to say, please make that fair trade, chocolate. My favorite happens to be Trader Joe's because they give our live to free team buckets and buckets of chocolate to go out and speak in the public schools. But there are 284,000 children on the west coast of Africa who are child slaves so we can have cheap chocolate. So when we go and talk to kids about slavery, we bring it down to something that's part of their everyday life, that they can make a choice. And their choice will change lives one way or the other. They can vote at the register to buy fair trade. We begin to teach them concepts of, of stewardship that are not based on greed. You know, I'm a missionary. I, I, I spent 22 years overseas. And my idea of stewardship, I have to confess, was I have to make my money go as far as it will go. And so that means I want the most for the least. So if I were following my old paradigm for stewardship, and I had $10, I would buy whatever chocolate was on sale. And if that meant I could get 15 bars, I would go home and say, look where I got this. And you get enough women together, and we start talking about our shopping habits, the woman who got the best deal wins, right? So now how about this for a new kind of stewardship? What if you pay $2 for a Trader Joe's dark chocolate? candy bar. That's my favorite. Um, instead of 59 cents or 79 cents. Now then for my $10, I only get five candy bars. I'm a nurse and I want you to know that five candy bars instead of 15 is actually healthier for you. So this is a good thing. This is a good thing. But when I spend $2, I am purchasing the dignity of a parent to provide for their own child because that parent gets a fair wage and they are able to feed and educate their own children. They don't have to go sign their kids up to be adopted by um, Americans, by the Western world. They actually begin to build their own economy. And yes, that means less for me. But if I truly want freedom for those kids on the west coast of Africa, then that's the kind of stewardship. And I have to begin to ask myself, and I have to begin to teach the kids coming up. That's why, again, I say you are uniquely positioned in the church to begin to teach this in your Sunday school classes, in your children's church, in your youth outreach programs. And I, I had lunch. I was so excited. 
they brought the third and fourth grade pastor to have lunch with me. It's like, yes, if we can talk, that's real prevention. When I start talking to high school kids, they really have already experienced a lot of this stuff. They know a lot of this stuff that we think they don't, but they really do. You are part of the problem and you are part of the solution. When you make choices for fair trade to vote at the register and you learn, and I gave um, Rena uh, live to free postcards that have links on our website to learn how to purchase fair trade. Now don't make fair trade the hill you die on because um, if you say, well, I'm not going to have anything, it is so much a part of our lifestyle that it's gonna take generations for us to really clean it up. Right now, the mineral, one of the minerals that is key to the, the, I don't know, you can pretend to understand how your cell phone works, I just know that there's one mineral that 99% of the world's supply of that comes from a slave mine in the heart of the Congo. So if you decide to become a fair trade fanatic, um, please leave your cell phones up here and we'll donate them to one of the, um, the nonprofits that's here this week, right? See, nobody's bringing their cell phones. Okay, I still have mine. We have to figure out how to disentangle those kinds of things. We learn how to be an advocate. We study the issues. We learn how to be a voice so we can make a difference. How to write letters um, to our government, to the United Nations. We learn how to begin to address the problems of media and pornography. And the reason we do this, the reason we do this is because every child, that little baby that Kimberly talked about, the, um, the girl Anne, Maria, all these victims. These are the reasons that we do this. And I do a lot of high school presentations and I found out that adults like um, really nice illustrations too. And I just need to borrow $20 from somebody. Anybody gonna loan me $20? I need $20. In this, I tell you, in a, oh, there you go. Come on, bring it up here, sir. That would be great. Oh, I got one here. Oh, no, no, it has to be, it has to be a 20, not a 10. Not two 10, I don't make change. Yeah, I need a $20 bill. Okay, there you go, thank you. Okay, so um, I, I got it, just one, just one, yep. Just one, okay, here we go, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. Now, this is a $20 bill, and who knows whose face is on it? Jackson, Andrew Jackson. And um, who's on a five? Who is on a one? I knew that one. Um, I'm really good with Euro, though. Um, uh, who is on a 50? Okay, and who is, who's on a 100? Benjamin, yeah. I was shocked when I was at a junior high and those kids knew that, and I, because I hadn't seen a $100 bill. I, I didn't, and then, so I went to the bank and I said I need to see a $100 bill to make sure. So, so I usually borrow this, Last time I did this was an inner city high school in uh, Los Angeles. And when I did this to the $20 bill, those boys all went, <gasps> and you know, you, I, it's really great when you do this with the kids and it's raining and your shoes are all muddy. Yeah. And then you pick this up and uh, you say, to the nice gentleman who loaned this to me. You don't want this back now, right? Because, or, or you, you probably, it's, you're not gonna be able to like go out for dinner on this. This is only gonna be like the McDonald's drive-through breakfast is all you can get now. And the kids always are like, no, I want it, I want it back. I want it back. And I'm like, why do you want it back? 
Why do you want it back? Well, it's still worth $20. Jackson's face is still on there. And Maria is still stamped in the image of God. And Anne still has Imago Dei stamped on her face. And no matter what these girls or these boys, 14% of the commercial sexual exploitation of children is boys, no matter what they have been through and who has stomped on them, God's face means that their value has not changed. And our commitment, and our commitment to them is just as if we're touching the face. is up. I want to encourage you to go back to 2 Kings chapter 4 and read that model. And I will give back your $20. Isn't that awesome? God's face is stamped in the lives of every human being. Are we seeing how it's all connected? Pastor Brady started and he talked about that child in the womb who deserves human rights, who is precious and valuable regardless of the circumstances going on around him or her. From the orphan to the child with special needs to the girls and the boys who are being trafficked and those who are the victims of genocide. It's one call, many faces. And that's what we're here for at the Life and Justice Conference. And we're so glad for what God is going to do with this day. Okay, I have some housekeeping things to tell you now. This is such weighty, incredible stuff. It seems a little bad to go to housekeeping, but I'm sorry. I have to do it. So if you want to take out a pen, I need to give you some information about the next, next breakouts. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to have the next breakout sessions. And I've had several of you come up to me and say, there are so many fantastic breakout sessions, and obviously we can't get to them all, so are they going to be available? And we want to let you know that, in fact, they will be podcast and available at lifeandjusticeconference.org on that website. And so that's one thing I wanted to let you know. After our breakout session, we're going to come back here for a terrific uh, panel, and we will be able to have you ask questions of our panel. Here's how we need you to get us the questions. We need you to text or tweet your questions to us. Boy, that's high tech. And there it is right up there, how you're supposed to do that. So if you have questions for those who are going to be on our panel, let me let you know who's going to be on there. And that's in your materials as well. Tom Davis from this morning, Sandy Morgan, we've just had with us. Chris Reyes from Life Network. Many of you were able to be with Life Network at their breakout session, doing incredible work to serve the needs of those facing unexpected pregnancies. She will be with us. Bishop Michael Sheridan will be back from this morning. Many of you were here and heard him open us in prayer. And then Kimberly Smith, who we just heard from, will also be available. So text or tweet your questions to us uh, as the screen suggests. 
So we're going to do that. For the breakouts, I want to let you know some um, changes. The orphan in your backyard is going to be in the theater in here. There's Betsy. <laughs> the orphan in your backyard is going to be in here. If you're interested in knowing more about the kids in foster care right in our communities all around this country who right now are waiting for adoptive families to call their own, to belong somewhere, not with that exploiter. Come and hear about that. That's going to be in here. Uh, those who want to go to bringing hope to those faced with a difficult choice, with the Reyeses, as I just mentioned them, that's going to be in the student chapel. And then those of you interested in wrapping around adoptive families, uh, that will be in the Children's Worship Center. So everybody got that? I know that was a little bit much, but three changes. Orphan in your backyard here, uh, bringing hope to a difficult choice, student chapel, and wrapping around adoptive families in the Children's Worship Center. Okay, then you're going to be on your own for dinner. And then coming back after dinner, uh, we are going to have the empathy encounter. Many of you have seen the incredible work of I Empathize in the back of the room there. Uh, they led us in worship so beautifully as we started. We're going to have a worship experience with I Empathize tonight. It's free. Uh, for those who might not have been able to join us today, perhaps they had to work. They're more than welcome to join us this evening. And we hope that you will come back and join us for that this evening. And I think that may be all of the announcements that I have, and I'd like to pray and send us on out for the break and then the, uh, the breakout session. Father, I thank you so much for these two women we heard from uh, this afternoon, how you have anointed and appointed them to be a voice for life and for justice in this world. Lord, help us to know as Kimberly said, what role you have for us to find the joy you have in the plan that you have for us to be blessed, to be a part of what you are doing on this earth as you have stamped your image in each and every human being who is precious in your sight. We thank you and we praise you in the name of the mighty Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you all. Enjoy your breakouts.